Welcome to the ITAM Reviews monthly radiocast with your host, Martin Thompson. Joining him on the sofa of software are regulars Barry, the Sam Mercenary Pilling, and the man known as the Sam Beast, David Foxen. Then on the couch of contention is Jeff, welcome to the Velodrome, Worsley, and he is joined with Rory, Process Guard, Canavan. And lastly, in the wing back of wickedness, is the soft, cuddly, and courteous Danny Beck. Moderating today for fairness and behavior is Libby, the item wench, Phillips. Please note all opinions are personal opinions and don't flag the item review or respective employees. Other opinions are available. Welcome to the ITMV radio show for January 2019. Welcome, guys and gals. Hi, guys. Hey, Martin. Hi. I'd like to kick off this radio show with um, a, a, a chat we've been having on our WhatsApp group for the for the podcast around this. What do we call ITAM? And uh, just by means of an introduction, um, Snow Software have been banging on about the concept of a technology guardian, whatever that might be. And this week, I think it was this week, uh, Gartner released a paper saying the top 10 priorities for 2019, one of which was, um, uh, what was it called? Digital, digital diversification management, which is their fancy word, a new word for SAM. Um, it's great that the SAM has made the top 10, but are we a bit sick of these new names? And, and what do we think of people trying to rename ITAM. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? What do we think, guys? Barry, to you. Is this because I was the only person that had a rant on the LinkedIn post that Martin did? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I, personally, I, I think it's uh, a bad thing. I think uh, people are trying to use this potentially, as, as Rory said, as a marketing tool. Um, because to be honest with you, let's be honest, we've all been in the business long enough. We've all been doing this for a few years now. And my feeling is that actually at this day and age, C-level executives are only just getting comfortable with IT asset management, the concept of ITAM and, and what ITAM is all about. And I think if we actually now start changing the name, it's just going to throw confusion into the mix. I think, I mean, I've got to be honest, the, the whole snow thing with Technology Guardian, as soon as I saw about that straight away, I was like, well, what's a Technology Guardian? And I think if you have to explain what a job title means to someone, then you know that you're not in a good place. And I think at the end of the day, yes, completely accept that the ITAM industry is changing because it is. There's a, obviously a big shift into the cloud. People are going software as a service, and you know infrastructure as a service, and whatever. But I do, I do strongly feel that the day-to-day -day, um, work that, that we still do at the coalface is still largely centered around IT asset management. You know, and I think the argument is really more about how do you define an IT asset than actually what we're going to call ourselves? Um, and it, just for me, it's, it's if you actually start now changing names, um, when people are just getting comfortable with what we do and who we are, then it just, just causes even more complications when you're trying to go into a, an executive's office with your business case, with your strategy and saying, look, here's my strategy for ITAM for this year. And you need to put it, the, the answer is putting it in language they understand, not actually changing the name so that, that they actually identify more with it and, and what they think you should be doing. I, I think the industry the as a whole surely needs to, has bigger priorities than a name change. Absolutely like, agree. Like, like Martin said in his post, it's all about driving value, um, showing the difference that we can make and maturing. You know, relatively speaking, ITAM as a whole is still a relatively immature um, business function. You know, we, like you said, Barry, we're just getting people understanding what ITAM is in languages they understand. It. Let's not then go into the office the next week and say, actually, it's now DDM. It's not ITAM anymore. We, we've completely changed it. We've got bigger things to focus on than a name change, surely. Well, I mean, ITAM has been around, or well, software management's been around properly for 15 years, and maybe you could argue 20, and yet there's still not enough people doing it properly. So maybe it does need a revamp, and maybe it does need a reintroduction or a re-image and I mean I'm totally against it personally but I'm sort of playing devil's advocate and maybe for a C-level exec ITAM is boring and ITIL is boring and then maybe it needs a, a something that's more <clears throat> acceptable at C-level. I think I'd, just just to latch on to the, the technology guardian concept as well I mean my my problem particular problem with it is is that you bear in mind all the the stakeholders that are involved in um, in SAM and ITAM from various aspects and various departments. If, if you were to try and grab a catch-all phrase, 
you could find yourself in procurement. You could find yourself in front of a, in front of a, um, a SAM suite. You could find yourself in the legal department, but you wouldn't know where to sit based on a job description of technology guardian. It, it, it seems like we're pushing everybody into the same boat and actually everybody performs specific tasks. So it, to me, that would be a task of a job. It wouldn't be the job. Well, technology guardian doesn't actually say anything either, you know, and in the end one, it's probably worse than IT as a manager. At least it says in there that you're aligned with IT and you're managing assets. Technology guardian doesn't say shit. Well, that's the, the, the thing is as well, isn't it? I mean, technology guardian could be anyone from, yeah. you know, someone in IT security through to the security bloke on the door of the data. I'm in the stock room. What we do, the IT asset manager. Yes, but isn't that the whole thing is that if you can appeal to everyone, then someone's going to get interested. It's a marketing thing, isn't it? How, if you can appeal to a million people by using technology garden and everyone says, what is it? And you've got someone on the phone. Whereas if you say I'm ITAM specialist, great, I don't need one of those. Well, that's a bit like having Joey Essex, you know, he appeals to loads of people, doesn't deliver it. <laughs> appeal to me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay fair point yeah. <laughs> do we need to describe Joey Essex <laughs> well no we've got Libby and we've got David so we're okay yeah, uh, Danny try not to make me laugh too much today I had a wisdom tooth out yesterday so oh. how do you describe Joey Essex to someone who doesn't know what he is he's just a, a I like the way you say human. what he is because yeah <laughs> <laughs> that kind of says it all as well what is he who is he yeah, he's a very white teethed. Um, um, I'll let Libby have a go after you, Dave. He he doesn't appear to have a brain cell, although it may be an act, and he's playing on it really well. Hundred percent an act. He's made millions of it. There you go. He's a highly intelligent white teethed <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> he's from Essex, so like he sounds like that, and he talks like that all the time, and he's like, oh my god. Can I just interject here as a as an Essex native? <laughs> we we don't all sound like that, and we're not all that vacuous either. Thank you very much. But Barry, before we hit record on this podcast, that's exactly what you sound like. <laughs> this is your podcast. <laughs> you weren't conceived in Essex, Barry, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, do you know what? I, it's not a question. <laughs> Returning to the original question, <laughs> <laughs> if we may. Um, I, I think the thing, the, the issue I have with this is I would be listening to this and I, I t would take all of this name change stuff seriously if it was coming from practitioners, but it's coming from marketers and people that are trying to sell stuff. And the, um, you know, the, old, the old marketing logic is that marketers want to own the verb, right? So they want to own... You know, like you Skype somebody or you hoover your house. The, the, the brand name is synonymous with the actual activity. And when they can't get that, they try to make up new names. Um, and I think it's just marketers trying to, trying to get a name for themselves, basically. I don't think we should take it seriously. I, I, I agree. I mean, I don't know whether we need to get permission to have talked about technology guardians on the school. But... Have they trademarked it yet? Uh, won't surprise me. Other industry pseudonyms are available. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure we're impartial. Um, but yeah, any of those ones, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. If, if you look in any of the practitioners' job descriptions or their job titles, I don't think technology guardian, guardian, or any descriptive that um, you know, Ghana or any other uh, third party uh, may have decided to describe this field um, but most sam um, in most sam vacancies or job roles don't properly reflect what you actually end up doing anyway because they're written by people who don't understand it yeah, uh, yeah that's true and i think we should be just educating people as it stands at the moment and what we actually do once we're there and everyone i kind of knows what we do fine go for the name change at that point but by that point we've kind of achieved what it is that we're looking to do which is grow and expand the industry and make the industry uh, the, the one of the primary functions of IT and the business. Amen. To use the old football analogy, the first name on the team sheet. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, so we're in January 2019, looking forward to predictions for this year. But before we do that, quick retrospective. Um, any things that stand out from 2018 for you? Um, Rich, you did a lot of coverage of um, some hot topics, Nike versus Quest and Oracle versus Chile, stuff like that. Anything that stand out for you? I think both of those, really. Um, you know, Oracle versus Chile. Oracle's practices, everyone knows that they're uh, less than optimal. Um, and to see, you know, a country go after one of the big software vendors to try and change their, their practices was pretty impressive. I think the outcome of it maybe could have been more significant, but it's a start. So I think, I think that was good. And hopefully, you know, there'll be some more things in 2019, other countries doing the same thing for me to uh, get involved with. And then Nike versus Quest. I mean, you know, two, two big companies, big audit, went to court, uh, you know, $15 million bill versus a $300,000 bill. So it's quite an interesting, um, you know, crux of the argument. And then when you look into Nike, and what they did and what they didn't do, I think there's a lot of teachable moments for everyone in licensing and SAM and ITAM about what you should do when you're being audited. Um, you know, don't just let the auditors come in and run the scripts and take the data away without checking it for a start. Um, so I, I think it, it's a good one. It will still be relevant in tenure probably. Um, so those two for me, you know, they were interesting. They were good to write about. Um, and potentially will have you know, repercussions for organisations around the world for years to come. Um, so I think, I think those are my two big ones. I suppose one of the things that actually you pointed out uh, recently, Rich, uh, which does play into a little bit of last year, was the Mondelez uh, Zurich Insurance, which I actually find quite fascinating in regards to the NoPeta virus. Yeah, I mean... Um, that, that that's a big game changer as far as I can say. I, I ended up bringing that up with our own insurance people internally and right. sending them those details because, you know, this type of thing is going to happen more often. Um, maybe Rich, you can give us a bit of background on it for the, for the listeners, but it's something that I think we should discuss. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, you know, the not pet you, uh, mal malware attack last year, you know, that took down pretty much all the big companies, so, so Mondelez, the, uh, the food manufacturer, Maersk, a uh, bunch of big companies, you know, were losing hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so uh, Mondelez claimed on their insurance with, with Zurich, um, which covers cyber attacks and all that kind of thing. But then Zurich, so they offered a $10 million payout. I think uh, Mondelez were looking for $100 million. And then Zurich pulled that and said, actually, it was an act of, uh, of you know, state-sponsored aggression. It was basically, you know, a, a nation-state, a government attacking. So we're not covering that. It's in the, it's in the small print. Um, but, you know, it's not been proven that Russia did it, which is what Zurich is saying. So surely Zurich have put themselves in the position of now having to prove that Russia originated that attack otherwise they're gonna have to pay out so and i think i mean because it's 100 million that uh, mondelez are looking for um and i can i can understand that from zurich's point of view or trying to reel back on that 100 million pound pays an awful lot of lawyers for an awful long time <laughs> yeah um it really does and you know do they have to prove it without a shadow of doubt? Or, you know, it's a bit like in your insurance contract, it says an act of God. Well, you know, we've all seen the film with, um, with Billy Connolly, or at least you know, maybe some of us have, about, you know, the man who sued God, you know, because using an act of God or an act of uh, a sovereign nation um, or something sponsored by a sovereign nation or that agents in a time of peace or war is an easy get out because it's virtually impossible to prove otherwise. A nation state isn't going to say, oh, yeah, by the way, I bought down most of the world's uh, companies. Do you know what I mean? They're just not going to do it. And it's very hard or virtually impossible for the United States or anyone else to say, actually, they did. You know, with irrefutable evidence. So, 
but it does come to you know there are more and more of these types of things you know if someone in china ends up doing something um you know that brings down your company's website and that and starts you from trading for a week and that costs you two you know 20 30 million pounds are they going to use that in the future to say, well, actually, because it came from China, we don't know whether that's the Chinese government or whether it was just a single act within China. So we're going to say that that's actually covered under this part of the contract. So it's, it's kind of like that act of God type thing. You know, it can now be used to kind of defend them against yeah. anything. That yeah. And, and problem. I think it, it's partly, you know, I think that clause was probably written, you know, many years ago because it used to be pretty easy to work out if a country was doing an act of war because you know well, yeah. you, you go i'm going to war with you if, if you look at the iraq war or or anything like that uh, you know afghan they tend to be very regionalized you know yeah, the chances of having a world war again is pretty slim and then most insurance companies will go well that's a pretty slim thing but when you look at viruses and the way that um security is dealt with in, in regards to this it's a worldwide issue so every single time there's an attack it doesn't just attack you know, one municipality of, you know, China, you know, on the northern border of Nepal, it's, it's worldwide. Do you know what I mean? So every single attack is a worldwide attack. I, I have to say as well, Danny, I, I, I will say with Mr. Trump in the White House and Mr. Putin in the Kremlin, I love your optimism that we're not going to have another world war. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, yeah. It might be quick. <laughs> be quick, well, we won't worry about our insurance at that point. Yeah, but I mean, no, you, you're perfectly correct. Obviously, I mean, uh, you know, cyber war is is the new war, isn't it? You know, I mean, and we're seeing daily reports almost of um, cyber specialists in in various countries that uh, you know we may regard as slightly nefarious, trying to trying to cause problems. Uh, and when you're getting, obviously, you're getting the news reports where. They believe that the Russians manipulated the U.S. presidential election. The Russians may have manipulated the Brexit referendum. You know, it obviously takes on a much more sinister dimension. Yeah, and 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 those, that's something of that you know, either it's something we need to keep an eye on as you know people within ITAM, and um, because you know keeping our systems and everything else all patched up and knowing exactly what's happening out there in in the state will enable at least our companies to continue functioning in the way that we want so that we don't have to go to the insurance company and get not back yeah so and, and just for reference because i didn't know about this company but mondelez is um one of these vague names for a massive trading group so they own the 25 billion i think and own cadbury and toblerone and chewing gum brand and loads of other stuff that you would have heard of but you wouldn't necessarily heard of mondelez but they're certainly a big hitter aren't they yeah, yeah. I mean, all, the, all all of the wholesome foods that you want to eat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any other standouts from 2018? Uh, I, rem I remember um, I was, I'm old enough to, to remember the um, year 2000 um, preparations. And after year 2000, everyone was grumbling that it was it was an anti-climax. None of the planes fell out of the sky and none of the cash machines started printing money into the street. And... The the answer was well the reasons the planes didn't fall out of the sky is because everyone prepared, and we had GDPR in 2018, and so far nobody's got toasted for that. Is that because everyone was prepared, or is that because it's complete anticlimax? Uh, well, there was that company last year that um, have been taken to court over GDPR, haven't they? I can't remember the name of it, but I have to I'll dig it out and let everyone know. Um, I still think it's a massive anticlimax, though, because the 25th, 25th of May was going to be this huge date in everyone's diary. You know, it was all over the radio about, you know, instead of, have you been in an accident? It was, is your data being stored by someone when it shouldn't be? GDPR, we can save you money. And then it just kind of just disappeared. Well, it's, so it's, getting, it's, it's, it's even getting down to the schools now. As my school won't even, my son's school won't even send circular emails through standard email. They have to go through this parent-child email system, and somebody stupidly copied everyone's email address into the last one. Oh. So, and they, they whinged about it, saying that's all GDPR stuff. It's like, I mean, that, that said, there, there, there was, I think, I think there was an awful lot of prep work going on. I mean, speaking as a as a business owner, I was getting almost daily emails from. Um, GDPR specialists in, in air quotes, um, offering me services to make sure my business was GDPR compliant. Now, I mean, obviously I, I ignored most of that because I did the work myself. 
being a, a very small business. But I'm sure there probably were businesses that actually had to bring in third-party specialists to review everything they do and all of their data management yeah. policies. Yeah, absolutely. And it came up quite a lot on proposals and RFIs last year about how you manage GDPR data. Companies would have been foolish not to have made preparations for it. I mean, I did a lot of work in the year 2000. Yes, I'm just as old as Martin. Um, In order to, uh, in order to prep for that, Um, you know, I spent you know probably the best part of 1999 doing that work for the whole year for hundreds of companies. So forgive me, the year 2000 thing was this. That they thought that all of the, I, I, yeah, I you're, you're too young, David. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't make us explain more stuff to you. No, no, no. But, but wasn't it more around the fact that um, they didn't think that the all of the machines could handle the actual 2000 date or something? Yeah, it's a yeah, they they go back to 1900. It was because of the yeah. date codes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because computer storage was expensive then. Well, not in 2000. It was expensive when they first well, built it introduced in, dates. Yes. You, know, you only had 8 bits and 4 bits and stuff like that. So yeah. in the 70s, when they originally did, they thought, ah, oh, do you know what? We don't need any more than these, this amount of digits until the year 2000 came online. And went, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, we didn't think 30 years ahead. Got you. But yeah, I think. Um, Welcome to the IT Veterans Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in all honesty, I think maybe, you know, speaking to other people about, you know, how come haven't seen any of these huge gdpr fines i think we might see some this year it's just they're currently going through the audit process of it but yeah for me personally i hope we don't see any yeah well you'd like to hope you wouldn't but i think i think you know isn't the the essence of the gdpr fine is is you only get fined if you get caught and then you don't do anything about it and you don't communicate and you don't act on it so you've got to be really stupid yeah like some of the the ico you know they were very clear they said we're not going to find anyone the maximum. They, they said that before. You know, it's not going to happen. Stop worrying about it. So everyone, it was a bit of a media frenzy, and you know the consultants and, and people making money out of it. Um, I think they hyped it up a lot, but the, yeah. the ICO were very clear there weren't going to be any massive fines. Well, and I think that's why we've not seen any. I think it's going to be similar to the BSA fines that get to the press. It's it's when they've done loads of negotiations and the relationship's really broken down two or three years down the line, then it will get to the press. So I, I, I think we won't even see them for maybe two years or something until you get a really big historic one. But the BSA are even Sorry. reporting at the moment of um, they're promoting the whistleblowing fees. But they're paying people that are dobbing in their own organisation. Yeah, yeah, but that, like, that's, a, that's marketing again, isn't it, David? Where, hey, look, we paid someone 20 grand in order to dob in their company. Come get 20 grand to dobbing in yours. What, what's yeah. interesting, to, talking about that as well, have you, any of you guys ever seen the BSA ads that they put on Facebook? Yeah, Facebook, yeah, God. Some of the comments you get on them, absolutely, I die reading some of them. I, don't, I, I enjoy I, I enjoy when it pops up every so often. I'm like, ooh, yeah. is there anybody? Let's have a look at the comments this way. Are there any new comments? <laughs> I, 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 I think Facebook's really an ideal target platform for BSA because obviously nobody's going to take it seriously on there. And, and they've been doing it for years and they still don't seem to have learned that simple, simple fact of life, I don't think. Oh, I'm feeling left out now. I haven't seen those. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you haven't been Googling enough on software asset management. Yeah. Well, what are you doing yeah. in your day job? <laughs> so as soon as you go and have a look at the BSA website, Jeff, the ads will start popping up on your Facebook feed. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> he's, now go- he's now going straight to it. Um, one of the other things, uh, you know, since we're doing a retrospective, is uh, you know, where we were last January compared to where we are this January. You know, what, uh, have you guys seen any improvements in the way the industries move forward or even the growth of the industry? Do we think it's growing? You know, and Mark, maybe you've actually got more information based on this since you actually have access to virtually everyone. I, I, I can give you anecdotal. In, um, I, I think it is growing in, in interest, but I would love to do a formal market sizing. I, don't, I haven't seen anyone do a formal market sizing of the ITAM industry and then if we did that properly in 2019, then in 2020, we could do it again, just legitimately yeah, yeah, say, have, just we, have we grown yeah. or contracted? Yeah, that, I think that would be really useful information for, you know, since we are all trying to grow this industry, um, then you know, it would be very useful if we actually find out whether we're successful in trying to. I think the interest, like Martin said, the interest is definitely there, but we've still got this big skill shortage, though, haven't we? Uh, so well, do- yes, let's talk about skills shortages and actually, you know, let's talk about skills in general. We could 
we could definitely well we could do some yeah, well there are other people with <laughs> the right skills um uh, yeah i think there's there's too many people out in the industry that don't know what they're doing and um hey yeah this is a good point for to have a jingle yeah. that has cheers yeah. and whoops <laughs> and i think some of this has come around because there's not enough people aware of what they should be delivering and i think this goes back to the sea level conversations about how do you get the sea level people within an organization making sure they're stakeholders good stakeholders in a SAM function or an ITAM function. They recruit people in six months contract, 12 months contract, they do a piece of work. They've got they no idea if it's good or bad. That person then sort of thinks, right, I'm at the edge of my skill set, and then goes off and does the next one. And in fact, they've actually ruined it for the next person that needs to come in <clears throat> because they think they can get someone for 450, 500 pound a day, and you're trying to get considerably more. And um, they think, well, I can just get the same level of person as I just had. But, is, so is there, in fact, in the contract thing, Jeff had to go even worse than that. Is the contract pay banding seems to be extremely narrow, which means that you know you pay someone three fifty, you could get actually a, a pal of dog, um, and or you could get someone who's absolutely amazing. Yeah, it, because at four hundred, you can get someone really good. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's extremely narrow banded because, um, and I don't know why that is. I'm going to say, just based on my own experience, what I've seen in the last 12 months, rates are starting to go up, contract rates are starting to go up a little bit now. Um, for years, there was stagnation and, and you would really struggle to get you know, a pretty decent rate that you felt was commensurate with the skills that you offered. Whereas now I'm starting to see, see them going up. I mean, not that I actually do full-time contract work anymore. Um, but well, Over the course of the year, you're seeing that improve, have you? Sorry? Over the last year, you've seen that improve, yeah? Um, so, certainly over the last last 12 to 18 months, I've seen, well, I mean, where I do, um, I, I mean, obviously I keep in touch with contractors um, in, in various levels in the industry. Um, and also I do still occasionally get recruiters come to me and they offer rates that maybe I'd be more interested in. Now, although, as I say, I don't do full-time contracts anymore. But when I was full-time contracts, a conversation I was always having with recruiters, they would come to me and they would say, right, here's what the role is. You know, and it would be fairly typical of a, an ITAM or SAM role, which is that the client wants the moon on a stick. They want you to be an expert in this great big long list of licensing. You've got to have all the ITAM delivery skills, all the SAM delivery skills, and then they want to pay you 300 quid a day. And I was like, I'm sorry, you're not going to get someone with all those skills for that money. You know, I wouldn't work for that money. But what you can do is you actually you can go back to your client and say, look, if we pay a little bit more, we can get this guy who's got all this experience, who can do all of these things. And it is all about selling yourself as a contractor, I think. Um, but now, as I say, the rates are starting to creep up a little bit, which is which is obviously a good thing for the industry um, because it will attract more people in there. And actually, I think it focuses people as well, makes people more motivated to actually improve their skill sets and get better rather than just float along from contract to contract earning bottom line rates all the time just out of interest why why aren't you doing full-time contracting anymore the um, focus in the mediterranean doesn't maintain itself martin absolutely <laughs> so it's in the pacific dear boy oh sorry um, sorry Baron. sorry no i mean mainly because I'm, I'm i'm over the last uh couple of years or so i've been doing uh, more freelance work so um you know at the moment i have um about four uh regular active clients who i do tends, tends to be subcontract work or um, clients that I'm actually doing work where I don't need to commit, you know, five days a week to. Um, so yeah, I mean, most of my work now is in, in almost in partnerships in, in the channel space, um, working with other bigger consultancies, um, and also maybe consultancies that don't do out and out IT asset management and software asset management. For example, I have a, a relationship with a, a procurement consultancy. Um, so I, I tend to do stuff like that now rather than just full-time contracts. We did have um, a complaint from last month's podcast. So the <laughs> there was a listener. There was a listener. We did have a listener, uh, which is good. So it's good to get a complaint. Mm -hmm. And there was, a, there was a, apparently we had a, we had a, um, a poor outlook on leads. <laughs> We're looking at you, Gordon. Yeah, well, justified, I think, but go on. So, <laughs> even though he was born in uh, Lancashire, uh, he's, he's, he's on the podcast to defend Yorkshire, Rich, aren't you? Well, yes, Rich. I mean, I've got my, you know, I'm Lancashire, they're Yorkshire, etc. I just don't, I personally don't think it's a good idea to 
slag off a big part of the country um, where potentially our customers might be. Um, for example, um, you know, if someone said that about Manchester, I would hold it against them for a long time. Um, <laughs> not, not that you hold grudges or anything, Rich. There, you know, there you go, I, Rory, I think... Rory, get back in your box, Rory. There you go. Okay, well, well, in just to just to round off your your point, um, Rich, it is it is football related, and bearing in mind that I am a a hard and fast Derby County fan, particularly in light of the recent, very recent history going on. Um, I'm, I'm going to stand by the dirty leader. Um, it is it is more directed towards the football club than it is the the fine city of Leeds. So and is isn't Leeds coaching being investigated as well? Yeah, is that the Spygate stand scandal? Or exactly. You... That's that's exactly what it is. So yeah, um, indeed. Well, I mean, I'm I'm United fan, so um, us and Leeds go back a long way. Um, but you know. I just, you know, football is one thing. Uh, ITAM podcasts are another thing. Um, I, I just thought, as as a listener, um, I thought it, it seemed a bit out of order. Uh, and I'm not even from Yorkshire, so just it just made me think, like, hmm. Um, so, so yeah. So that, so there we go. Fair enough. Ha- hashtag awkward. <laughs> 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 So, moving for predictions for 2019, uh, um, we're recording this on the 17th of January and and uh, the, the UK Parliament is tanking as we speak, trying to get Brexit through for March. Um, is that going to have an impact on the economy? I also see uh, China um, uh, growth um, stalling a little bit which is having an impact globally on on um on the economies around the world what what do we think of 2019 how's how's itam going to be affected just just addressing the brexit thing for a moment i think it really depends on what they end up doing really doesn't it i mean if, if we come out of the eu with a no deal then yes that's that's clearly going to have an impact on the economy um if they do you know a sensible thing and, and either delay um the brexit so they can um sort out a, a, a a meaningful deal that's that's going to work for both the country and the EU. Then maybe not so much, but at this stage, it's it's really too early to say because we just don't know which way the politicians are going to jump. No, I don't disagree with you about it. I, I suppose that all the uncertainty as it stands at the moment just makes it really quite difficult, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think no matter what deal we come out with, you know, in, in one way. You know, it's going to destabilize things for a while. Whether we're better off or not is 50% of the population think either way. Um, but no matter what we end up doing, it's going to affect us at least for the next few years, no matter it's just how much it's going to affect us and how long it's going to take us to come back from. So, And I think that will have a big impact on the ITAM field purely because if you look at 2008 and what the impact did of the financial crisis back then now no one says that this may this may be the same as that may be worse may be better but if you just take that into that context the amount of focus that ended up being on item and um, was very large at that point so you could say for us as item people it's actually probably it, it, that could be good news as in it gives us more focus um but of course if everything ends up shrinking then you know it's it, it's a bit tainted isn't it with the bad news of everything uh, economy wise and end up being a bit worse so i find that incredible that you know this is a huge thing for the country we haven't got a scooby-doo what's going to happen well you, you would have thought the sensible thing would have been you know to actually come up with a plan before they triggered up triggered article 50 um, <laughs> two years ago <laughs> actually get the cabinet around the table and say right let's flesh out a plan let's actually because Let's be honest, what would happen if you're executing a new item practice and, and you actually said, right, here's our deadlines. Okay, so what's happened? We'll you a week before. But hang on, hang on. We, we discussed yeah. this earlier. No one, C-level people have got no idea what item is. Therefore, they do do this. They just think they <laughs> throw 50 grand, 100 grand, 150 grand at a piece of software and assume that's it. Yeah. Just like the fairies. Yeah. And, and yeah, that software may not actually own any software. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> so, it, yeah we're going to use enough Brexit acronyms here. It, it, you know, this, 
It is the, the probably the biggest mess that um, we could possibly have got ourselves into. Um, so it's going to affect everything in society. So, well, at least that's my opinion. Just just on the uh, throwing one hundred and fifty grand at something, um, you know the the UK government put um, they bought a, they bought a contract from a, from a startup company for some shipping stuff, didn't they? For the for yeah the yeah that fourteen million that's the Fedies bit yeah, yeah and and. Um, it turned out that the company that did, you know, the startup that had won that contract, um, they had a website and the terms and conditions were copy and pasted from a takeaway restaurant, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that. that that's that old EULA thing is, oh, yeah. I'll just yeah. use anyone's EULA. Yeah, copy and paste the EULA from somebody else's website. I think I think the secondhand market's going to get a bit of a boost if it, if based on Brexit as well. I just think if there's going to be a rattling down on finances and... My, my view of Brexit is not favourable. Um, I think there will be some sort of shrinkage in the economy. I think people will be sort of looking under the duvet and under the bed and, you know, in the sofas for whatever money they can put their hands on. Job, Job of the week. week. Wow, that was the best yet. That was like a <laughs> chorus. It took us an hour to try and get that down, Pat. Acapella, that was. That was acapella. <laughs> no budget podcast. <laughs> So the job I found this week, and the reason I picked this one out specifically was uh, it's a government organisation or government uh, government um, authority, maybe? I don't know how you would describe Public it. Public sector, isn't it? Public sector. And, and the reason I picked this out is because, you know, when you joined the ITAM ministry, you would have thought that government were immune from uh, attacks by aud auditors and software companies, but um, they faced the same, if not more, from software publishers so this is software asset manager at the financial conduct authority in london to me it's a yeah the job description is good i know some of the people that have been there and some of the people that are there um so i don't know what it's like environment wise but considering it's financial conduct authority you would think there would be an awful lot of um overview of governance you know so there's probably going to be an awful lot of paperwork and stuff like that there may be parts of this where you know trying to get decisions may be difficult because of levels of authority and sign off and you know so you know when we talk about stakeholder management um there's probably going to be many more layers to that stakeholder management within the fca so that could present people with a number of different types of challenges there um I completely understand why the FCA would do that because in the end one, the FCA preaches to a lot of the financial organizations what they need to do in order to ensure that their risks are managed and they need to be showing exactly the same forethought in, in the in the field. Do you know what I mean? So when they say to people is you need to make sure that things are maintained and patched and done this in order to, you know, so that you know uh, the, the general public are removed from the risk, then they need to make sure that they're also following the same types of practices. You know, practice what you preach. So at least they're, they're, they're seeing that and actually doing something about it. Didn't they recently get told off by one of the governing bodies about not actually doing what they practice or what they preach? I, is this them addressing that? No, I think. But well, I think this was actually in the, the in the finance space, wasn't it? I think there were several companies that they could have taken to task, and and they just kind of let them slide by, as opposed oh, right, to okay. their their laptops or servers not being you know appropriately patched or managed. Yeah, I think the National Audit Office questioned whether they were if they were value for money, or well, that could be could be reaching there. Um, but in terms of the job, I suspect, uh, like Danny touched on, if, you, if public sectors organisations are, are, shall we say, um, slow to change. So if you're, if you're going to go in there and, and think you're, you're going to blaze a trail, I suspect you might be uh, in, in for a short, sharp shot. I think that having, having worked in a couple of public sector organisations as well, um, they're very reputation conscious. Um, so actually, that, that's, uh, that's a way to lever the sort of support you actually need. It doesn't always work, um, but a lot of the time, if you, if you dangle the reputation um, carrot in front of them, then that will normally get senior management to play along because the last thing they want is to be caught wanting uh, or to have a major vendor come in and audit them and, and they're adding the use for all the wrong reasons because they owe, you know, X software vendor £37 million pounds for, you know, overuse of licenses, for example. So... That, that's one way to look at that. Um, but yeah, I think you're right, Rory, as well. They, they do tend to be quite slow to change. It's almost like a container ship. It takes, you know, three years to turn around 180 degrees. 
one of the things that strikes me from the role as well is, is it's uh, it's quite ITIL centric. So there's mention of SACM and ITIL and CMDB. It's very ITIL centric, which is which is fairly common. Although we do see less people working in, you know, the, the ITAM function is moving away from service management generally as a trend. But would that be a hindrance? Do you think if you've got good, if you've got really good track record in ITAM, but maybe not with a, with service management, is that going to be a hindrance? Do you think? I don't think so. I think they've thrown that in there to just kind of say, you know, they want you working to some sort of framework. You know, whether it's at all or whether you've got other qualifications such as from the BCS or from, you know, other organizations, you know, uh, such as the ITAM review, as long as you can show that you're working to some sort of standard, which is what you could expect. Yeah. And I well, it's an opportunity for education as well, though, isn't it? Because I'm sure most people on here feel like me that actually ITIL has um, asset management in the wrong spot. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that's really helped the industry that much over the years. So I think it's an opportunity for education to say, well, actually, you know, ITAM doesn't really belong with configuration management. Um, let's, let's look at it this way. Let's turn this on its head and actually think about it in a different way. Yeah. So, so I've got something I was just about then. So ITAM, SAM normally fits into either IT or finance, if you're really lucky, both. <clears throat> which one do you think which one has is better prepared for 2019 2020 if it's falling under finance or under it know, i'm trying to do my best to break it out of both and trying to a bit like cybersecurity used to really come under it um previously but now in an awful lot of organizations cybersecurity kind of sits now on it in its own um its own tower, uh, which may have direct reports directly into the CEO rather than into the CIO. Now, I see ITAM as being one of those towers in the future because of the amount of areas that it ends up touching onto, such as procurement, legal, you know, service delivery, configuration management, and everything else because it has inputs and has stakeholders in all of those areas. Um, so I don't, I don't feel it should belong under finance or under uh, service delivery. Wasn't necessarily saying should it belong under one or the other, but who do you think is best prepared? If you're currently in finance, you've got a financial slant on SAM maybe. Whereas if you're sitting in IT, you've, you're trying to do things. And service delivery time one. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about finding ways to work together as well, isn't it? I mean, um, one of the things I often talk about with my clients is is actually bringing together some form of um, working group or governance board or something like that and have representatives of the areas that you need in there to make sure that everyone is is aware at a, at a high level of, of what's going on in the, in the ITAM space. So, I mean, having people from information security in there, from procurement, from, from legal potentially, if you, if you need them for an audit group or something like that. So it's, it's about making sure the message gets out to all the key people as well. I think I think where the two join or where they could join is when you when as a company you sort of look at whatever service or, or provision IT is is putting in front of the company and you start thinking about value chain analysis then at that point. So if you do have your um, ITIL ducks in a row and you've identified your IT services and you understand the technology stack behind that IT service, Sam makes it so much easier to be able to put that that calculation together to say that service costs X, it's delivering us Y, um, what's the benefit in either scaling it up or scaling it down accordingly? Yeah, and obviously Sam and ITAM need to have inputs to all of those ITIL processes anyway. On the financial conduct authority role, um, last month we said about the Morrisons ones that they work on low margins, so you've got to be a bit bloody minded to push things through what's is it a different sort of personality for this financial conduct authority thing do you think more of a political animal yes i would say so yeah i think yeah definitely yeah i think a civil service animal as well so if you've got former public sector experience even as an fte i think you've got you've got that mindset you've got that culture weighed off which would really help because um um yeah that that will really sort of see you step forward in that space i think I, I, I don't think the people that work permanently at the FCA are actually civil servants. I've got to be honest. I could be wrong on that, but I, no, I think they're mostly yeah. finance. Yeah, I think yeah, because of the way they're funded, because they're, they're not actually funded by the government, are they? I don't think. I think they're actually funded out of the fines they levy. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I, or, or, I, mean, I, I could have that wrong, but that's that's Barclays and everyone else has to put money into a pot, and that pays for the FCA to help govern them. Yeah, yeah. So self-governance type thing, or paying for self-governance, even and though it's, it's public funds. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like the bank, the bank of England, for example. The Bank of England is not a public sector organisation because it's privately funded. 
well, everyone perceives it as being a public sector organisation. Every day's a school day, isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the also, final thing on this, on this before we move on is the salary bracket is 45 grand to 70 based on experience, presumably, and a competitive benefits package. And it's based out of Stratford, which is right, for, right at the end of the tube, isn't it, in London? Yep. Are they going to get the person they need for 45 to 70 Not grand? For 45 grand, no. No. Yeah, they might get the person they want, but not the person they need. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, not in for 70? You're getting close, definitely. Yeah, at that point. Plus two, Stratford, I mean, Stratford, I don't know what the, the living costs around Stratford are these days. Probably as astronomical as the rest of them. I, I, either that or commuting costs, you've got to factor into the conversation as well, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, potentially. Um, I, I think, I've got to be honest, I think for what appears to be quite a senior role, I think 70K is probably a little bit on the low side. I think Rory's right, you're getting closer, but still a little bit on the low side for the, for the level of seniority that that role seems to describe. I mean, I think we all know several people that work in their SAM roles there, and I can't imagine them being on much less than the top end of that. Yeah. So if you're expecting someone to come in and manage some of those people you'd you would be expecting i personally would be expecting to get more money not the same moving on uh we need now do need to describe uh hypervisor by means of the medium of cake <laughs> <laughs> Barry, radio. Barry, are, we, are we ever going to let that one slide no <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no barry barry peeling itam mercenary uh is now going to describe hypervisors by the medium of cake I, I'm not actually. <laughs> Are you sulking? No, I'm going. No, I'm going to describe hypervisors, but I'm going to use it via, do it via the medium of technical terminology because um, that's apparently what you want on this podcast. <laughs> we'll have to redo one more cake. <laughs> oh, podcast number two in the cracks already showing. <laughs> other other sound mercenaries are available. Other podcasts are available. The hy hypervisors, then. So I think. I think. For me, the important distinction to make, first of all, is that there's actually two different types of hypervisor. Um, you've got um, what's generally known as a, a native hypervisor or bare metal hypervisor, um, which is where the hypervisor is a bit of software that effectively acts as an operating system on the hardware. So um, VMware ESX and ESXi, good example of that. Uh, Oracle VM server, um, Citrix Zen server, IBM, PowerVM, all, all examples of where the hypervisor is effectively acting as the operating system. Uh, and what it does in that scenario is it controls um, the physical resources um, of the, uh, of the, the hardware um, and allows the operating systems or, or the virtual machines and the operating systems that you create on those virtual machines to access portions of that hardware. Um, so in the case of VMware, for example, which is obviously the most common one, it, it runs via a dynamic pool of resources effectively. Um, so when a VM requires additional resources, it calls out and it gets it from the pool and, and so on and so forth. IBM works in a very similar way as well. The other type of hypervisor is, is effectively what's known as the hosted hypervisor. So that is something like, um, has anyone used Hyper-V on Windows 10, for example? Yes. So that, that, that would be a hosted hypervisor where you've actually got the software installed on the operating system and then you're creating your virtual machines within that. Um, but the, the basic function is still the same, it's just a slightly different type. It's just you still have an operating system in between the hardware and the actual hypervisor, whereas with the, the bare metal, the, the hypervisor effectively is the operating system. So and it's, its job, as I say, is then to control the resources of the hardware and, and uh, distribute those resources to the virtual machines you create and run on that, uh, on that physical host. But where's the cake? <laughs> <laughs> if we were to describe it by cake, you might. Is, say, is, is that the time already? <laughs> you might said with love, Barry. Said with love. You might say that the physical device is the cake, and the hypervisor hypervisor determines how thick the slices are. Yeah, that 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 could potentially work. So. Um, I guess it really depends on whether we're talking about bare metal cake or hosted cake as well. <laughs> and how greedy you are. <laughs> you never get it back once you can see it, once I can see I mean, in, 
in in the scenario with a hosted cake, I guess the cake stand would be the operated oh. system. <laughs> cake, you just push straight onto your plate. See, all you needed was a bit of encouragement, Barry. Awesome. Well done. <laughs> Please, Dave. I mean, feel free to patronise me some more. <laughs> that, it wasn't that wasn't patronisation. <laughs> Right, we're over time, gentlemen so, and, and ladies, so let's um, wrap things up. What have you got planned for next month? So um, I'm prepping for conferences because um, I have three conferences that I've been asked to speak at in the spring, so different slide decks for each of them, so doing a lot of work there. Uh, also going to be doing some exciting things with Rich over the next few weeks um, for, <laughs> Lisa, for the Lisa. So uh, quite looking forward to that as well. Yeah, that'll be quality. Yeah, get a new new training module recorded and available before the US conference, hopefully. And so yeah, I'm quite excited about that. I'm working on collating some of the anonymous data for the last 12 months, actually, for the um, light maturity assessment on offer. So we'll have a global process maturity report for 2018 coming out shortly. Cool. Keep Keep an eye out for that. I'm doing some work with some customers around uh, expectations from the industry over the next couple of months. Cool. I'm cool. We're working now, Jeff. New new year, new role. Uh, yes, I am indeed. Yeah. I'm working with Livingston Technologies, and I'm cool. product okay. product manager for their managed services toolset. Cool. Good luck in the new role. Thank you very much. Uh, anyone else? From my point of view, it's still just um, trying to deliver ITAM to, and, and kind of build up as well. I've got a, a couple of people that want to do some blogs and work and stuff. And to be fair, I'm kind of waiting on Rory for some feedback for some stuff. So <laughs> yeah, that's, just, get it in now. Yeah. That's, that's yes, that's, um, I was going to send you a private WhatsApp this morning, actually. Um, I'll literally be starting that in the next couple of weeks. Yes. So we'll have this same nudge next month. Cool. Thank you. Should we thank you about your sandbeast.com website as well? Is that live yet? Sandbeast.co.uk is not live yet. Um, I meant to do it over Christmas, but um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, rightly so. Um, I completely turned off all LinkedIn, Twitter, anything to do with work. And quite frankly, had a wonderful time with um, my son and my family. So um, I'm back on doing it in the evenings and stuff at the moment, but I'm just knackered. So, um, yeah, I need to, get, need to get on that. So hopefully next time you can promote it for me. Thank you. Just from the ITAM review front, we have uh, we're releasing a SAP course in uh, shortly, aren't we? In fact, it's live now. Already live. Yeah. Already live. SAP licensing. Uh, we're getting ready for our USA conference, which is in mid March in Florida. Looking forward to that. And I'm just about to kick off a Office 365 price benchmarking survey uh, to help ITAM review readers see if they're getting best price on that. So that look out for that in the next couple of weeks. Oh, that sounds good. That'd be really useful to see. Okay, thanks. Thank you, folks. See you next month. Thank you very much for your time. Nice one. Cheers, guys. Thank Cheers, you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. Oh, <laughs>